Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two on GU applications in the acute abdomen. And I mentioned before we'd look at some unique entities, and one of the most classic is XGPs, anthrogranulomatous polynephritis. Typical presentation if you close your eyes, a large kidney, poor or no function, large staghorn calculus, and markedly dilated calyces that look cyst-like, really uh, impressive. XGP is usually due to chronic inflammation. The patients often are debilitated, nursing home type patients where the original infection was never treated well. And so this is sort of the sequela of persistent infection. You can see in this case the right kidney, big stack on calculus, dilated calyces. You can see that there is some functioning kidney present. You can see it nicely in the coronal view but there's marked thinning of the patient's cortices, the left kidney is normal. This patient, if you look at it in general, is in pretty good shape, right? The fat, the, the muscle mass is good, but this patient had XGP. Look at these excretory or late phase images in the volume rendering. Staghorn calculus, other calculi, dilated calyces, minimal renal function, and an enlarged kidney, and again, very nicely shown here. Now, XGP certain facts is a chronic destructive granulomatous process. It results from a typical incomplete immune response to a subacute bacterial infection. We always like to think about things that are unusual in the kidneys with infection as patients with diabetes, but it, diabetes is only present in about 10% of these cases. It's more common in female than male. 90% of patients have pyuria, 60% have positive cultures and hematuria in about 18% of cases. Things we see, a large staghorn calculus is classic, but it's not always present. There's extensive inflammatory processes, decreased or absent renal function. It's typically unilateral, but it's an enlarged kidney, severe hydronephrosis, ballooning of the calyces, and an important thing I'll show you is that it's not uncommonly extending beyond the kidney to the psoas or paraspinal muscles or to the abdominal wall muscles. And in fact, in the old days, and I'll show you examples, the way patients with XGP presented was a palpable mass in the abdominal wall and you thought you were dealing with an abdominal wall abscess or a tumor. This is one of the first articles I wrote like a thousand years ago, presenting signs and symptoms including pain, urinary frequency, dysuria, Nocturia, palpable mass, leukocytosis, and fever were all common. Duration of symptoms, usually less than six months. Now, of course, one of the things that's changed is 84 was a good example. You didn't do CT very frequently. Now, patients have fever, flank pain, you're getting a CT right away, or some imaging modality, but especially CT. So, you're probably not going to see, although we occasionally do, the really crazy cases we saw in the past but we still see some of them. Another example, XGP, large calculi, right kidney, enlarged kidney, almost no function in the right kidney. The left kidney almost is gonna give you an example of bilateral XGP, stone in the pelvis, stranding in the pelvis, high density in the pelvis, but uh, that patient, we don't do anything on the left, it's gonna end up with XGP at some point, probably or possibly. The kidney on the right is classic XGP. The kidney is basically replaced by multiple dilated calyces. There are multiple calculi nicely seen on the MIP imaging and the extent is really impressive. Now with XGP sometimes, though rare, it can be focal XGP only involving a portion of the kidney. In this case, the lower third of the kidney is functioning. 
though there is stranding around the left renal hilum as well. And here the perfusion change is shown very nicely on the cinematic rendering. And here's the calyces, really well shown on the cinematic as well, with the dilated calyces bilaterally, but especially the loss of cortex on the right side, and all of the findings of the patient's XGP. Now, I mentioned that in the past, the way XGP presented was as a pyrospinal process, where the patient had back pain, the surgeon palpated something, and would do exploratory laparotomy. And you can see in this case, and this is not that old a case, large right kidney, classic stones, though not the biggest stones you've ever seen, dilated calyces, involvement of the peri and parenal space, and then extension through the posterior abdominal wall into the paraspinal zone. You see multiple low-density lesions with several air bubbles. This is XGP with extension beyond the kidney and into the abdominal wall. Just a really nice example. And these are the ones which obviously will end up with a nephrectomy and surgical dissection. Here's another one, again, poorly functioning right kidney, dilated, large abscess in peri and parenal space extending into the psoas muscle. Just a really nice example. This patient would need to be drained and get a nephrectomy. So you can see if they're not picked up early, the presentation may be more musculoskeletal than urologic. Just a beautiful example. And here you can see that the majority of the kidney is replaced by this inflammatory process. It's only a little bit of functioning upper pole. Typically, XGP is global in a kidney, but not always is that going to be the case. Now, another unique thing we talk about is emphysematous polynephritis. Now, that's the one you get in diabetics, the life-threatening, necrotizing infection of the kidneys characterized by gas formation within or surrounding the kidneys. 90% have poorly controlled diabetes, so often older patients, nursing home patients. They're non-diabetic patients are then immunosuppressed patients. Most common organisms, E. coli, Klebsiella, and Proteus. CT is the modality of choice because you can look for enlargement of the parenchyma, perfusion changes. You can look for air, a little bit or a lot. You look for fluid levels in the perioparinal space or within the kidney. You look for air fluid levels and tissue necrosis. And here's an example of XGP. Look at the patient's left kidney, poorly functioning. But when you get down to the lower half, there's total destruction of the kidney. The allies of the kidney are basically air. Look at the extent of that into the peri and parenal space, but also the air present. Another example looking exactly the same. Look at the left kidney. That kidney is basically destroyed. There's some minimal enhancement. I don't know from what, but the rest of the kidney is all air. It's basically gone. So it's a very important diagnosis. It's typically a surgical emergency. The patient needs nephrectomy. Again, nursing home patients, other debilitated patients coming in, uh, you could see that. So a very, very important diagnosis. Now, when we speak about the kidney, other things in the acute abdomen, renal infarction, most common causes thromboembolism, thrombus left side of the heart, aneurysms of the aorta renal artery, atherosclerosis, subacute bacterial endocarditis, transcatheter embolization, or any other vascular procedure, or a patient with a dissection of the aorta that involves the renal artery. When we talk about infarction, we also talk about other causes, vasculitis, like polyarrhythmia nodosa, trauma. We talk about paraneoplastic syndrome. We talk about hypercoagulability states. We talk about acute venous thrombosis. So it's not the most common diagnosis, 
but it's not that rare. And we are seeing more of these cases than ever, so it's an important diagnosis to be very much aware of. So what about renal infarction? Can be segmental or global, most commonly it's segmental. Can be an isolated process or part of a multi-system or multi-organ disease process. Acute and chronic renal infarction do occur, and symptoms can range from acute flank pain to fever to, to hematuria. On CT, as I mentioned, most of the time it's wedge-shaped, which you can think about, which is focal, versus diffuse and more global in nature, usually due to arterial occlusion, sudden and onset, and we can often see the clot within the renal artery. can be unilateral or bilateral, usually it's unilateral. We talk about a cortical rim sign of enhancement. Um, we, that is, um, in patients who have poor flow to the kidney often, you have these capsular vessels that get flow through collaterals, and so you have the peripheral enhancement of the kidney, but you have nothing else. And then, of course, what happens with infarction, sometimes the cause resolves and the patient maybe loses a little bit of cortex, or sometimes they're fine. Other times, you'll see a chronic, small, atrophic, poorly functioning or non-functioning kidney. So, for example, in this case, look at the right kidney. You don't see the cortical measure of differentiation like you see in the left kidney. You also notice the more anterior wedge-shaped defect, and then you see that very, very nicely here. You also look at the patient's right renal artery on these images, and you see a clot. And so th there you see the clot again in the renal artery and the infarct of the kidney. Okay, left kidney looks normal. There it is again. So again, the importance of looking carefully at the vessels. The mighty arrow can help. Another example, atrial thrombus, and now has a large, nearly global renal infarction of the left kidney, and you can see that better here, where there's only minimal flow left, so it's not totally infarcted, but a good portion is, so that becomes very, very important. Or in this example, same thing, where you see the infarction. And here's another example where the patient uh, had uh, also a chest, and now you see the average right subclavian artery arising from the, right, from the left cusp, you also see a clot in the left atrial appendage. And then when you scan down, you see that this patient has evidence of renal infarction, right kidney. You can see as you look at the renal artery, the small branching, the occlusion of multiple small branches. So MIP imaging or cinematic rendering can be very helpful looking at both the kidney and the vessels. And in this case, you very nicely see the infarction of smaller vessels. Again, here it is again, MIP imaging for anything vascular works very, very nicely. And here it is on late phase. So what happens with infarction early to late, the boundaries become a bit more defined, but they're there. And then here's a cinematic rendering showing you the cropping of the vessels due to infarction as well as the vascular appearance. The loss of cortex in the patient's kidney is accentuated, but again, we know that's the area of infarction very nicely shown on these 3D images with cinematic rendering. Sometimes, you know, you don't appreciate things. Look at this case. There's some little dots in the kidneys, which you have to say, what are they? Are they calculi? Well, they weren't there in the non-contrast. But look at what happens when you do MIP. Look at all of those little beading structures coming off the renal arteries. That's classic polyaritis nodosa. There also is, by the way, small, uh, these little aneurysms off the patient's SMA, as well as the splenic artery, as well as the celiac. Just a beautiful example of polyaritis nodosa with multiple zones of vascular involvement. 
It also shows how nicely you see it when you go to later phase imaging. You see the sequela of small infarcts or perfusion changes, but you can't make the diagnosis from those appearances. Now, other things in terms of infarction patient with aortic repair, often they have to compromise or try not to compromise the patient's renal artery. Here's a patient with fever a couple days post-surgery, and you can see that the patient's left renal artery is not seen. And when you look at the images, the patient has a global infarct. That kidney is not coming back. You ask, well, there's some capsular enhancement, but that's the point we said before. You can get rim enhancement with global infarction, but it does not mean the kidney is going to be perfused to any satisfactory manner. Another example here, a large global infarct, rim enhancement, very nicely shown as well in the coronal view. And finally, this patient had a neuroblastoma resected, and now you look at the left kidney, and you see the left kidney is not enhancing. Here it is in the earlier phase as well, the stranding around the kidney, but that's a globally infarcted kidney. I'll show it to you again with cinematic. Beautiful global infarction. You know, the renal artery obviously was not reimplanted right or was injured. And that is one of the complications of vascular surgery. Now, I showed you focal infarcts. I showed you global infarcts. Here's multiple infarcts. So it's easier to get multiple infarcts in a single kidney or in multiple kidneys, multiple infarcts in both kidneys, nicely shown. And at times, the infarcts are better seen on the later phase imaging as here. And here's the cinematic showing you the loss of cortex and the area of infarction. And one more thing to talk about on the venous side is renal vein thrombosis. Maybe accompanied by uh, nephrotic syndrome in up to 20% of cases. It's associated with abdominal surgery, including laparoscopic cholecystectomy, trauma, tumor invasion of the renal vein, and invasion by primary retroperitoneal masses. The list of causes of renal vein thrombosis are many. So it's not really going to help you and make a very specific, specific diagnosis. And um, you know, the numbers are indeed uh, consistent with many things published as well. When you look at renal vein thrombosis, it ranges anywhere from neoplasms to trauma to dehydration. Um, in this article by Wang, CT is currently the imaging method of choice for diagnosing renal vein thrombosis. As is non-invasive, somewhat less expensive, it can be performed quickly with a high degree of accuracy. CT has shown a high sensitivity and specificity in diagnosing these lesions and is therefore recommended as an initial screening tool. So that's a good way of thinking about things. A couple other examples, renal vein thrombosis. Look at the left renal vein. It's interesting, you would expect renal vein thrombosis, the kidney is delayed or poorly functioning. The kidney is not quite as bright as the right kidney and the cortical measure interface not as sharp but it's pretty close. Or another example here, we're following a patient with partial nephrectomy for a renal cell. There's a thrombus in the contralateral side going from the left renal vein across, but not across into the IVC. And here it is again on the 3D mapping, showing it to you. Now, um, with renal vein thrombosis, sometimes we find it where it's hard to understand. This patient had the right nephrectomy, partial left, now has, not in the immediate post-op period, has this venous thrombosis. So it's really interesting. You need to look carefully. I do make the point that without IV contrast, you're going to miss anything that's thrombosis on the venous side or the section on the arterial side. You need to have the right protocols or you're not going to get the right studies. And then the last thing I'll mention is 
uh, renal AV malformations or some sort of renal vascular processes. Uh, but why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break right now and we'll come back and we'll start with this and discuss this further. Have a break and see you in a bit. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website ctss.com for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.